Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Good to be here today, and uh, I'm glad my dad's in heaven today. I miss my dad. He passed away last March. And I miss him. I uh, had a lot of fun with him. Well, as an adult, when I was a kid, he wasn't very much fun. Uh, but when I became an adult, we had a good relationship. And, and he was a blessing in my life. And, uh, but his last couple of years were very painful. And I'm happy for him that he's with the Lord, where there's no tears, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering. And, and uh, so I'm happy for him, even though uh, my siblings and I all miss him. And I don't know if your family's like ours, but my siblings and I, Monday was, would have been mom's birthday, flag day. Everybody put their flags out when we were kids because they all loved our mother. So we were taught by our father. <laughs> but it was a, it was a blessing uh, to uh, celebrate that with mom. And uh, we, we shared jokes and, and stories about mom and dad on their birthdays to celebrate. So if your parents are gone, you can tell somebody something you learned from your parents, and that'll be a blessing too. So uh, on the screen, the, this title of the message, David, how could he be a man after God's own heart? Um, you think, well, is David really the best guy to talk about on Father's Day? I mean, as a dad, David was known for neglecting his kids and not taking action when he should have. Except in the case of Solomon, he gave Solomon lots of instruction and wisdom, and Solomon shared some of that in the book of Proverbs. But one of our favorite stories of David is facing Goliath. And, and I don't know where Megan found this picture, but it's absolutely classic. And a guy's just riding along, reading, walking along, reading his Bible and feeling like he's David. And, and the imagery there may not quite be right because David was probably five and a half to six feet tall and Goliath was nine and a half feet tall. So David doesn't look quite half as tall as uh, Goliath there, but, uh, but it was still a great story, and, and we, we like to sing songs about that kid's song, uh, uh, Only a Boy Named David, and, and uh, then and we, you know, people often talk about the little guy, power to the little guy. He's the David over the Goliath talking about situations even in our culture. Uh, but this was a great moment in Jewish history when David conquered Goliath. But, and, and David did some other great stuff, but he also messed up a lot. One of the ways he messed up was as a dad. Uh, he found out about his son Amnon doing something wrong. He didn't correct him. And then his son Absalom uh, murdered his brother Amnon, and David didn't do anything. And uh, then, he, and when Absalom died, David cried out, Absalom, Absalom, my son, I wish I had died instead of you, was, was the cry that he had. But in his life, he didn't spend the time to invest in his son to help guide him in the right path. And uh, he also, one time, uh, they were going to face a com conflict, combat, they were going to go to war, and David counted up all of his soldiers. And God had specifically told him not to. 
Now, in our culture, you know, if you're a general in the army and you're going to combat, you want to know exactly the soldiers that you have, the equipment that you have, the supply chain that you have. You want to get all of that in place. You want to be ready to go. And, but David was specifically told by God, don't count them, just rely on me. David counted them anyway. And then he also had multiple wives. It wasn't against the law then as it is now, uh, but it was against God's creation. In creation, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam, Eve, and Sally and Bobby Joe. He just named one. And so God's plan was for one biological man to marry one biological woman and enjoy a lifetime together. And David had multiple wives, and he uh, committed adultery, and he had a person killed. So you say, well, how could David be a man after God's heart? And yet God himself said that David would be a man after his heart. So this morning, I want to think about three big ways in which David had a heart for God, and we can learn from that. Whether you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, you can learn from what David did, okay? Uh, we're going to start in Psalm 18, and we're going to be there. We're going to read a couple verses, and then we're going to, a little bit later, read a couple more verses in Psalm 18. I can't twist the lid off my water bottle this morning, so I asked Kathy to put that one up there because I can just drink from it. And um, So in Psalm 18, uh, David writes in the first couple of verses, you see at the beginning, at the heading, it's a psalm of David, and he's writing to the servants of the Lord, who, and then he says in verse number one, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So David is talking about God and he uses these amazing descriptive words. He calls him his strength, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, again, his strength. And he chooses to trust in him, the shield and the horn of his salvation, his stronghold. He wants you to get the idea that God is clearly trustworthy. And so the first thing that David did that made him a man after God's own heart is David chose to trust God. David trusted the Lord, not just for salvation, but for life. David trusted in him, and one of the ways he trusted God was showing respect for those in leadership, even when you disagreed with them. Let me tell you, I do not like the way Christians are behaving in our political climate in America. We're supposed to show respect to those that God has put in authority, even if we disagree with them. And you know what? Uh, I have never had a president in my lifetime that I agreed with everything he did. Not one. But they've all been Mr. President so far. <laughs> Someday there may be a Ms. President. But so far it's all been Mr. President. And we have to respect the office 
The Bible tells us so. So the way that we talk about it, it's okay to complain about issues, but not to attack people. And I, I had a Christian friend when President Clinton was in office, and he called, referred to him as Slick Willie. That's an inappropriate way to talk about the President of the United States. We need to speak respectfully even when we disagree. And, and David served under King Saul who was intentionally trying to kill him. And David still submitted to Saul and he didn't attack him and he didn't try and kill him. Then another way he followed God and trusted God is he listened to the prophets. And when the prophets spoke, he responded appropriately, whether they were giving him counsel or whether they were giving him rebuke. He responded appropriately. So I've asked several guys to read verses for us this morning, several dads in our service, and so they're just going to stand up and read them loudly for us. And so the first is Psalm 20, verse 7. So we're choosing to trust God. We're not trusting in our assets, not trusting in our stuff that we have available. We're trusting in the Lord our God in the same way that David did when he ran out in the field to face Goliath. Psalm 56, verse 4. And also from Psalm 56, verse 11. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? No, when I was in the Marine Corps, a guy threatened to kill me because, well, I had helped build the case against him, and he was arrested, and he was sentenced to prison, and then he escaped, and he threatened to kill me. And he did kill somebody about a half a mile from where I worked, he was on his way to get me, and the other person got in the way, and he killed them. And I remember that night, we were about to get married, and, and uh, we've been married 41 years now. So it was like, uh, the other day, you know. And, and he was, uh, he, I was nervous, and I was a little scared. And I thought, do I bring a wife into this circumstance, into this situation? And, and uh, I, one of my favorite psalms has uh, always been Psalm 46. And so I opened my Bible, and I started reading Psalm 46, and I just kept reading. And I got to Psalm 56, and I read those two verses that Tim and, and John just read for us. And I read those verses, I will not be afraid what, what flesh can do to me. I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. And I closed my Bible, and I said, Lord, I'm just going to trust you and just take the next step. And I went to sleep and slept well the rest of the night. And the last I heard, that guy had again been arrested and again gotten away, and he was in Houston. Uh, I haven't heard anything since. But we can trust God. Even when circumstances seem threatening, even when people seem threatening, David trusted God. And it showed that he was a man after God's heart, inclining himself toward God's heart. The second thing David did is he had an ongoing conversation with the Lord. An ongoing conversation. 
A uh, couple of the young people given their testimonies about camp, shared about prayer and, and uh, getting more serious about prayer and getting more involved in prayer and praying intentionally and talking to God and listening to God. Prayer is not just mouthing off to God, but actually listening to him as well. You're still in Psalm 18. Look at verse 3. David said, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon him. Part of trusting in him is praying to him, calling upon God, relying upon him. So we have a couple of verses, and and then I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 119, uh, but I'm also going to ask a couple of guys to read some other verses. So Psalm 56, 16. Which dad has that? Okay, right. I will call upon God and the Lord will say, as for me, I love the way that's expressed by David. Psalm 102, verse 1. Hey, calling upon the Lord, calling out to him. Did you get over to Psalm 119? Psalm 119, I should have given you the verse too, because there's a whole bunch in there. Verse 145, Psalm 119, verse 145. If you don't know about Psalm 119, um, it, it is based on the Hebrew alphabet. There's sections of eight verses each that go through the Hebrew alphabet. From if it were our alphabet, it'd be A to Z, and it goes. So there's little poems, and it's the whole psalm is focusing on God's word and God's testimony and God's commandments and what a blessing they are in our life. Psalm 119, verse 145: I cry out with my whole heart, "Hear me, O Lord! I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies." I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. Now look at the imagery that David uses here. First of all, he's saying, I cry out. This is an intensity. This is an emotional. He's not saying I'm crying tears, but but he's crying out to God. He's not just being passive, not Lord bless this food, but really crying out, trying to... to, uh, get God's attention, if you will, uh, trying to pour his heart out to God. I'm crying out with my whole heart. This is one of the ways in which David was a man after God's heart. He was crying his heart out to God's heart and calling on God to hear him. And then he pledges himself to keep his statutes. I cry out to you, save me. Do you remember when Peter was in the boat and they saw Jesus walking on the water and Peter said, Lord, if if that's you, let me walk to you. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Wouldn't that have been amazing? And, And then Peter got distracted by the storm. He's seeing the storms and Peter started to sink. And Jesus, and Peter cried out to the Lord, Lord, save me. That's, that's a full prayer right there. Lord, save me. Lord, help us. Oh, Lord. You know, I can remember when we were certain we were going to be in an accident. And a car is on a slick road, and it's sliding right into us, and there's a dangerous drop. And we're just, oh, Lord. And then the Lord got us out of it. 
I try and picture angels between the car coming and our car getting squished in there while, while God kept us safe, getting us around the, the side of that. So he's crying out to God to save him. And, and then he says, I'll rise before the dawning of the morning. You wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and, and you're, you've got somebody on your mind and, and you just pray for them. In fact, uh, when my younger sister was in uh, school, uh, she lived over in Virginia and she was going to school and we lived, I don't remember where we lived then, Texas or Arizona, I can't remember. And uh, what, I woke up in the middle of the night with her on my heart and I just prayed for her. And then uh, later that day, I called her and said, hey, you know, I, I was praying for you in the night. She said, what time was it? And I told her, and she extrapolated from where we lived to East Coast time and said, that's exactly when I was in turmoil. I had this anxiousness, this angst of spirit, and I was trying to pray and I was trying to calm down. And all of a sudden, this peace came over me. She said, that's exactly when you, God woke you up to pray for me. We've heard stories of missionaries on the mission field and a church having a prayer meeting for the missionary and the missionary experiencing God's deliverance at the same time as the prayer was being delivered. Praying. David had an ongoing conversation with the Lord. All right, Psalm 145. Uh, ben, you have that right. Calling upon him, calling upon him. So when you think about David's ongoing conversation with the Lord, I want you to think about three things. He prayed. As uh, we were saying earlier, the, the young people in the testimony, that it's the biggest hindrance to answered prayer is not asking. James says that. You have not because you ask not. It, it's the biggest hindrance to answered prayer. David prayed. Secondly, he prayed to God. Uh, remember when the prayer of Jabez was sweeping the country, everybody was talking about it, the book was selling like crazy. Um, it, you know, don't worry about trying to find that book and read it. It's better to read the Bible uh, about the prayer of Jabez than to read the book. But there were these Hollywood celebrities saying, I pray the prayer of Jabez every day. Yet by their lifestyle, their conduct, their verbal choices, they didn't believe in God. They were just praying to the universe, to ask the universe to bless them. And you, you know, you read that in a lot of things today. People saying, oh, the universe showed favor upon me. Or, uh, I, you know, Kathy and I were with another couple and, and uh, they were, she made a comment. We, some things were going up in the air and, and she's like uh, releasing them as a universal blessing to somebody, I don't know. But when we cry out to God, it's not just prayer, it's praying to God. So, do you think about God when you pray? When you go home or out to dinner, you're going to have a meal. Most of the time, it's our custom to pray before the meal. The Bible doesn't actually say you have to pray, but it does say you have to receive it with thanksgiving. 
So we verbalize our thanksgiving in the prayer that we say. And so we pray to God and we thank him for this food. But are you praying to God? Are you thinking about God? Are you trying to connect with God in that prayer? Or are you thinking about the food? When I was a kid, we lived in Nebraska, and the pastor had us over for lunch. And the pastor's son was in, age-wise in between me and my brother Gary. And, and so he was there. The pastor asked his son to say grace. And so his son said, grace. I want that, and I want that. And uh, his pastor dad was a little embarrassed at how his son had behaved. I'm glad I was never embarrassed by my sons or my parents by me. It never happened. So David prayed. He prayed to God. He prayed from his heart. We can have head knowledge prayers. Lord, we thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I was thinking about that. Dan, Dan likes that verse a lot. And I was thinking about that when I was having my surgery and the doctors sticking the arm of the knife in my arm. I love to watch that. It was pretty fun. Got some cool pictures of it. And as the doctors, po I was thinking, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And I rejoice at the end result of the surgery, but the process of it wasn't very much fun. But when you quote scripture, when you talk to God in prayer, is it with your heart? God doesn't just want a head connection. He wants a whole body connection, your heart, your soul, your body connecting with him. And David understood that. Even though David made some massive mistakes, God also blessed David because David had a heart for God. He wrote songs that were prayers. We've read from several of them this morning. He listened to God's spirit and he listened to God's word. Right, here's the third thing that David did. David repented completely. I want you to turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, David repented completely. Have you ever had somebody give you half of an apology? I'm sorry you got upset. That's not apologizing at all. I'm sorry you took it the wrong way. No, you have to actually apologize. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry my actions caused a problem. I'm sorry my behavior caused a problem. And sometimes it's, I'm sorry my non-action caused a problem. Like uh, when Kathy drove to pick up the kids from camp, I was supposed to, but wasn't up to it. So yesterday she got up at 4 o'clock in the morning and took off and drove up to Eager, Arizona and picked the teens up and drove them back and walked in. And her plants had not been watered. The one thing she asked me to do while she was gone was to water the plant. She thought I could pull a hose with one hand and do it. And I could have if I thought of it, but I didn't think of it. So um, I said, I'm sorry you forgot to write that down for me. 
I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm smart enough not to say something like that. She wouldn't have done anything about it, but she would have been annoyed. She was annoyed enough that I forgot. But when David apologized, he really apologized. Now, David's a king in Israel, and David sinned. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He tried to cover it up when she ended up pregnant. He had her husband put to death in combat, but it was still, he ordered the death and his henchmen carried it out. And now David has gone along and Nathan the prophet has confronted David. And Nathan told David a story about a man who had one little lamb and another guy had a lot of sheep and the rich guy took the poor guy's lamb and fed his friends with it. And David was outraged. And David said, that man's going to pay. And then Nathan the prophet, with the boldness of God, said to the king who could have ordered his death, you're that man, David. And so David repented, and David repented with all his heart. And David wrote a song about his repentance. And in Israel, they would gather together for worship, and they would sing about our king who sinned and repented before God. See, God does not expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to repent. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, called on people to repent, to have a change of heart, a change of direction. When you sin, ask God's forgiveness. Repent. So Psalm 51 begins with David saying, Have mercy upon me, O God. Have patience with me. It's hard to turn a page. Okay, here we go. According to your loving kindness... According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Uh, when uh, um, uh, John's writing about it, he said, confess your sins to the Lord and he will remove them. He will take your sin away. Uh, David saying, according to your loving kindness, you cannot earn salvation. Paul said in Romans, all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. There's not a person, if, you know, if we held up an x-ray machine in here and it could look into your heart, it would see there's some past sins that would show up in your heart. But God forgives those sins and he takes away the condemnation of those sins. In fact, the Bible says our sins deserve death in hell. The wages of sin, what we earn for our sin, is death. But God gives us forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So, according to your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me truly, completely from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Only God can do that. Now, uh, when my great-grandma, she was a fantastic cook. My great-grandma was. She made the best breads and, and rolls. And In fact, when we were kids, we really thought her middle name was Rolls. We called her Grandma Rolls Dale because she made the best rolls, and we really thought that was her name. And, uh, but in her late 80s and 90s, she wouldn't clean her kitchen 
very well. She couldn't see it. She couldn't handle the hot water on her skin. And so when we'd show up there, it was my job to go outside with grandma into her garden and get her distracted while my mom went in and scrubbed the kitchen and cleaned everything. And then grandma could come in and bake for us. We want things to be clean. I was in the hospital, you know, and the doctor didn't, well, wait, I got a pocket knife right here. Whip it out, open it up, and stab it in my arm. It was a clean, sterilized instrument. And our heart can be sterilized and cleaned by God. And that's what David cries out for. Wash me, completely cleanse me. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. That Your sin just hangs there. It's called a guilty conscience. God's the one who gave you a conscience and you're aware of your sin. The only people who aren't aware of their sin, they're not thinking clearly through their life. They're not evaluating. Some because of drugs, some because of a mental illness, they can't think about it. But when you really think about the righteousness of God and your own heart, there's a gap and you're aware of that. So he says in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Now pause right there a moment. He was the king. He sinned against the nation. He was a man. He sinned against a woman. He was a general. He sinned against his soldier. But the real sin is not what you do to somebody else. It's what you do in your relationship with God. David was unfaithful to his wife. He sinned against God primarily. He was unfaithful to his soldier. He sinned against God. He was unfaithful to the nation. But the primary sin was violating God's commands. He sinned against God. And then he goes on to say that you may be... Um, I've done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He said, God is not unrighteous to call me guilty. He knew he was guilty. And verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin my mother conceived me. He's not saying that his mom had an affair and he was a result of that. He's saying he's born with a sin nature. The Bible teaches that. We're born sinful. You don't have to teach a little kid to be naughty. I mean, it just happens naturally. For some kids, it happens way too easily. Right? Look at verse uh, five, 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. That's the branch they use to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the worship in the Old Testament in the Jewish temple and tabernacle in David's day, the tabernacle. So purge me with hyssop, I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. David's crying out to God. He's acknowledging his sin. He's wanting God to cleanse him and forgive him of his sin. Now, the cool thing is David knows God. He knows exactly what God's going to do. Jesus said it in the New Testament, all who come to me, I will never cast out. 
Another time he invited people, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. God is willing to forgive. We don't just think, maybe you've been a terrible sinner. Maybe you've done horrible stuff. God will forgive everything. Uh, my brain can't think of exactly how 1 John 1, 9 goes. Um, how does it go? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Doesn't matter how big the sin is. Doesn't matter how awful you feel. God forgives completely. He's God. That, that's what he does. And then uh, look in verse 12. I'll jump down there. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. In verse 14, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. He had a man put to death. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And uh, then he, in verses 13 and 14 and 15, he's talking about how he's going to respond when God forgives him. He's going to teach other people about it. When God forgives him, he's going to sing songs about it. When God forgives him, his mouth is going to show forth his praise. So David wanted people to rejoice in God. David repented completely. He didn't say, oh God, I'm sorry that you were bothered by what I did. He said, I have sinned. Now, in Hollywood, <clears throat> sorry. there was a guy in Hollywood who got arrested for something, and he's on an interview, one of the talk show things, and I don't remember why I was watching it. And he got on the talk show, and the guy brings up this thing where, yeah, you got arrested for that. You know, and he says, yeah, I made a mistake. David didn't say, I made a mistake. He said, I sinned against a righteous and holy God. I either, well, when you sin, you do one of two things. You do something you're not supposed to do, or you fail to do something you're supposed to do. It's called the sin of commission, you did something wrong, or the sin of omission, you didn't do something right. And either way, you sin against a righteous and holy God. And we are sinful. And God in his justice is right in condemning us for our sins. But God in his grace and mercy and love made a way for salvation by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. God can take all that sin away. And David knew about that. And so, like, like David, when you trust the Lord and walk with him, you can succeed gloriously. You might not face a big soldier named Goliath, but you can face big problems in your life, and you can be victorious. You can face troubles and difficulties. You can do the right thing, even when it's unpopular. You can make good choices, as David did sometimes in his life, and, and you can walk with him. You can succeed gloriously. You can rejoice in some of the blessings that God has brought about through your faithfulness. But also, like David, you're going to mess up sometimes. David had been walking with the Lord for years before the sin with Bathsheba, for years before he had Uriah put to death. 
You're not going to be perfect. When you sin, you ask God to forgive. Now, at some point, you need to ask the Lord to be your Savior. Like uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and then you will be saved. But after that, you're still not going to be perfect. In fact, if you know people who claim to be Christians who say they're perfect, you know they're not because they're still on earth. On earth, we're going to struggle with sin. But you just ask God to forgive you. You don't have to get saved again. You just ask him to forgive you to restore the fellowship, the joy. For instance, Kathy and I got married 41 years ago this evening. It was a Friday night wedding. In fact, we were really high tech, man. We have an audio cassette tape of our wedding ceremony. I don't actually know if the tape's still around. We don't have anything to play it on, but but we have this audio cassette tape. And at one of our anniversaries, I don't remember, we were listening to it, you know. And I get up there and pastor says, Terry, do you take this woman whose hand you now hold to be your lawfully wife? You know, and what were the words I was supposed to say? I do. I do. Yeah, that's what it was supposed to, I was supposed to say, I do. But it came out more like, I do. I sounded like a scared kid. I, I had just turned 20, but I sounded like that. It was a scary thing. It was a big, huge commitment. But, but I said, I do. And, you know, even more miraculous, she said, I do. And, and we got married. And we have been married continuously every day for 41 years. She has not been happy with me every day for 41 years. But she's been my wife. There were a couple things I did that annoyed her, at least twice in our marriage. (laughs) But you know what? We're still married. So what do we do when that happens? I apologize to her, or in rarer occasions, she would apologize to me. And so we still have the marriage, but the relationships, she's a little annoyed, or I'm a little annoyed, and we want to restore that relationship. And that's how it is with salvation. One time you ask him to be your savior, he is your savior. The scripture says God adopts you into his family, makes you his child, and now you're his forever. But you're going to mess up. You're going to ask forgiveness, and he will. You're going to restore the fellowship. The relationship's still there. You're going to restore the fellowship. So you're going to blow it. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to slip up. You're going to sin. Because that's part of the human struggle on earth. But when you do, repent like David did with his whole heart. Repent like David did, and then get back up and start the journey again. A couple years ago, I made a decision um, Normally, Kathy and I talk things through and we evaluate, and I made a decision she didn't particularly like, and uh, uh, it ended up working out okay, but she was very annoyed with me, and uh, at that situation, after that situation, 
We didn't have to get married again. We didn't have to wait for a week and get everything calmed down and then, all right, now we're going to go get remarried. We were still married. You don't have to get resaved. You just have to get right with God by confessing your sin. Now, David was a man after God's heart because David inclined his heart to follow God. After his sin, he inclined his heart back to follow God again, and God restored him. And so several thousand years later, we're still talking about King David, and we're aware of his sins, we're aware of his errors and his faults, but the words that he writes still stir our heart to follow God because that was a choice David made and we can make too. We're not going to have an invitation and ask you to come forward if you want to trust Christ. But listen, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're here today and you want to talk with me out in the courtyard, we'd love to have somebody show you from Scripture how you can trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're struggling with sin in an area of your life, ask God to help you get over it, confess it, turn away from it. God is gracious and kind and loving, and he will happily forgive your sin and save your soul. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.